0: You can't capture, recapture Advent without recapturing why it is we're Jews. Christians um, want to think that. I mean, rarely is Romans nine through eleven seen as crucial to Advent, but uh, the Jews are the promised people. And uh, we Christians are witnesses to that promise. Uh, we participate in it. And uh, what the Jews uh, have to um, uh, what the Jews have had to do is to learn through Christian persecution, um, how to live and survive, without an army, without a land, um, um, using, uh, becoming a people who have had to learn to survive through prayer. I understand the state of Israel is a contradiction to a lot of this, but it's a debate within Judaism itself. In other words, The Jews had to learn to live for 2,000 years of Christianity the way Jesus wanted us to live. (laughs) So, to recapture Advent is to recapture a sense of what it means to live as a people in a world which has taken the time of God's patience not to live the way Jesus made it possible for us to live. So um, Advent is the recovery of how to live in a world of impatience as a patient people. I think one of my ways of putting it is that um, since I'm a pacifist, so uh, I say, um, that Christians are called to nonviolence, not because we believe nonviolence is a strategy to rid the world of war, but in a world of war, as faithful followers of Christ, we cannot imagine being anything other than nonviolent. And that will make the world possibly more violent because the world does not want the order it calls peace exposed as the violence it so oftentimes is. Now, learning how to wait as a people of nonviolence in a world of war, you'll know what Advent is. (laughs) Advent is patience. It's how God has made us a people of promise in a world of impatience, and, um, uh, and, uh, and Christ has made that possible for us to live patiently in a world of impatience.
1: So why in the world are we talking about Judaism? Because, you know, we are beginning, we're at the beginning of the Christian year. And inherently, Jews and Christians are two different groups of people. We do different things. We are in the midst of preparing for Christmas. They are about a month and a half a week and a half, away from Hanukkah. They're getting ready to light their menorahs, and we're lighting our Advent wreath. They're going to have eight crazy nights. (laughs) Can't not say that. And we're going to experience kind of the gluttonous feast that is Christmas, right? We are two different religions. Why in the world would we need to start the Christian year by talking about Judaism? One of the things we will need to learn first, if we're going to make it very far in this journey with Jesus through the Christian year, if we're going to make it on this trek through Jesus' birth and death and resurrection and ascension and Pentecost and kingship throughout the year, The first thing we're going to have to learn before we become Christian, we're going to have to become Jewish. There is no way to make sense of the Christian faith without Judaism. We don't have the words to talk about this without the Jewish faith. Messiah is not a Gentile word. We would have no idea how to pray at the manger. If it wasn't for the Jews, we would have no idea how to translate the message, the multiple messages of the angels, if it wasn't for someone, a Jewish translator, sitting in our midst, telling us what it means. One of the first things we're going to have to learn before we become Christian is to become Jewish. A few years ago, I was in uh, North Carolina. I was living there, and a couple friends and I decided to take a trek to Charlotte, North Carolina, just for like a day trip, and we decided, why the heck not? Like, let's have some fun and go visit Billy Billy Graham's Mecca in Charlotte. Let's be clear, Franklin Graham and Billy Graham are nothing alike. (laughs) Nothing alike. Anyways, we were kind of semi-fans, maybe. I mean, like, we've do believe he made a contribution to the Christian faith, and so we wanted to go see his library and his museum. And by the way, they actually do Christmas in the Barn at the Billy Graham Library. So like now you know we're real Christians, right? <laughs> because we do it too. <laughs> and so our tour guide that day, who happened to be Arab, told us that just the week before Jimmy Swaggert had passed through. Does anybody know who Jimmy Swaggert is? Yeah, okay, so a few people. Jimmy Swaggert is one of the multiple 70s or 80s televangelists. They all had two things in common like hair that you could still smell like because of all the hairspray and um, like prostitutes that was just it's in that, it's in that category of of eight, 70s to 80s televangelists so apparently about a week before we were there Jimmy Swaggart passed through um, wanted to check out Billy Graham's thing and uh, and so I asked our Arab tour guide how did how did that go like what was it like meeting Jimmy Swaggart and he said well he asked me a really weird question he said you're arab right and uh, yeah and you're a christian at billy graham's library yeah i'm a christian and apparently jimmy kind of like hanging over the glass encasement of billy graham's bible looked completely baffled and said who in the world told you about jesus and our tour guide, um, quick on his feet, turned to Jimmy and said, well, where are you from? From Louisiana. And the tour guide said, well, I'm just an Arab, but, but I'm pretty sure if you open the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, it says that Arabs and Cretes and residents of Mesopotamia were all there and converted, and so quite frankly, I need to ask you, who told you about Jesus? <laughs> And so I was later relaying this story to my Jewish cousin, who also happens to live in Charlotte, and he was asking me the differences between the various Christian denominations, and for some reason, I wonder why I thought of this story when I was talking about the Baptists, and my my Jewish cousin said, the real question is, what in the world are a bunch of Gentiles doing salivating over a book that's about the coming of Christ? our messiah that's our story why why would y'all care about the lineage of king david that's our faith who who told you about jesus who told you about our promise and the answer is i guess jesus i mean jesus is the one who let us outsiders into this story Jesus opens up to us the promise of Israel that God is among us, seeking to bless us until we are whole, as, as the Jewish people say, chesed, whole, blessed, healed. Jesus lets us into this story until all the world becomes chesed, whole, healed. You've, you've got to learn how to begin naming the world as a Jew first before you're a Christian. You've got to learn how to pray like a Jew. You've got to wait like a Jew. You've got to learn how to practice faith like a Jew. Especially when you read a text like Sherry read this morning. The son of man is coming with great power and glory and the sky will darken and the withered fig tree will bloom and the cock will crow and no one will be able to predict it or understand it. And if you want to know Mark's point, it's that you got to pay attention, stay alert, because the God who meets us in Jesus, we might miss because it's the same God who met us in Abraham on the mountain. And it's the same God in Jesus who met us in Moses and Isaac and David. Jesus, the son of man, is first the king of the Jews. That's Mark's gospel. And the good news for us is that Jesus allows us to become Jewish too, entering into that promise that God will be our God and we will be his people, whole, healed, hesed until the sky darkens and the stars fall and all heaven breaks out. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to be Jewish first, and it all begins with today's text, which happens to be a particularly Jewish one. It's apocalyptic in nature. You know that word, apocalyptic? Not not the Hollywood definition of apocalyptic because that's not what we're talking about at all. Apocalypse within the Jewish faith means revelation or it means revealing. It means that God has something yet that is unseen to be seen. Apocalyptic living, waiting for that revelation, is Judaism 101. Waiting with expectation that God will show up and reveal something that is not so obvious and not fully seen. Over the vast majority of history, to be Jewish has meant to be powerless in the midst of chaos. Forget the 1942 pact, and forget what's happening in Israel now. That's not the real Judaism. For the vast majority of Israel's history, to be Jewish means to be powerless in the midst of chaos, especially while Mark was writing his gospel, To be Jewish means to be in the Roman Empire, under the shadow of Caesar, to have your identity wrapped up only in what Caesar says you can do, to be in bondage and oppression, to engage in economic practices of Rome because you have no power to say no, no power given to you by the state. You're a Jew. All you're doing is waiting for God to come save you. And that's why Rome mocks the Jews. You want something done? You want to pick yourself up by your bootstraps? You, you go to Caesar. Caesar, of course, knows how to build roads and walls and take over the world and build empires that are bigger than any other empires before and industries that are huge. That's how you get the world changed. Big business and tax breaks for the rich And these Jews are just sitting around praying, waiting for God to save them. Waiting for God to prove who God claims to be. Welcome to your Jewish faith. Truth be told, you and I are both by heritage and Christian formation more children of Rome than we are of Israel. Look at them all. We kind of think that if you want something done, you just push your way through. You build an empire. You make it happen. We, We can find ways through our own might and our own money and our own strength and our own power to make the world what we think it should be. And the result often is that all hell breaks loose in our lives. Chaos breaks out in our own lives and in all around the world. Aristotle and Plato and the philosophers of Rome, you know, they basically told us that if you just work hard enough and if you dive deep enough into yourself, you'll find the right answers and you can become something great. You can be huge, divine, but the rabbis say that's a load of crap. (laughs) The rabbis say that our salvation will not come from within, but from without. And so they wait, and they watch for God to reveal God's self to them. As though God's going to come in an unexpected time, in an unexpected way, and an unexpected place, a way that you may not be prepared for, but you can be watching for and waiting for and ready to bear witness to. That's the hope of the powerless Jew. And it becomes the power that sustains their faith and it sustains our faith, this advent, before you become thoroughly Christian, You have to become Jewish. Waiting. Waiting in expectation for God to show up and fulfill the promise as only God can. Waiting like the Jews. Because in that most powerless place is where the manger is. That place of complete, emptied power in your life is where God will break in and be born. That addiction you continue to wrestle with, even though every night you promise you're going to give it up the next day and every morning you regret having taken it up again, and you've tried everything and you're completely powerless to help it. Your self-control is in shambles. Stay alert. Watch. Watch in that place because that might be your manger. Wait for God to break in there. You're in a relationship that is already as good as dead. Before you even begin a conversation, You're already postured in resentment and defense, and you can't do anything to change it, and your relationship is just mess, masked in borrowed time. Perhaps that's where you watch and you wait, because that might be your manger. Wait there for God to show up, for God to break into that. You're... That same temper that you have that's flared throughout all your life over and over and over again because people keep pushing your buttons, because people don't really know how hard you work or how depressed you really are, and they keep pushing and pushing until you snap and you hurt someone again, and your emotions are just complete chaos. Perhaps there, that's where you need to wait and pray in that place like the Jews praying at the wailing wall for God to show up and break in. Your finances are completely out of control because you've spent more than you could have possibly ever conceived to have spent, and the debt is bigger than you could surmount, and now Christmas is here, and there are expectations of gifts and you're in disarray, and yet you're embarrassed, and you don't want to talk about it, watch and wait in in that powerlessness, and wait, wait for the promise of the Messiah there. Our Jewish brothers and sisters teach us that strength is had when the God of Israel shows up in our weakness, and we happen to be waiting there in silence for him. Probably probably the oldest hymn we will ever sing at Kingstown, it dates all the way back to the 4th century A.D., is one that we started our service with. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. We began our service with this, and it was written as this reflection on Jesus' birth. But it sounds nothing like Christmas. It's set in this minor key of the Jewish faith. It's rooted in the Jewish faith, waiting in our weakness and in our chaos for God to break in.
2: Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling,
1: We become witnesses of God with us in the chaos, in the weakness, in the waiting. And it doesn't sound like Christmas. It happens in Mark 13, but if you flip a few chapters further into the gospel of Mark, you end up at Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is being lifted up on the cross, pierced hands and feet, and there's this guy at the base of the cross. Have you ever noticed this guy? This guy just standing there. In Mark's gospel, there's this guy, and he's a Roman centurion. He's standing, this symbol of power and might. He represents the empire. He's Caesar's right-hand man in collusion, and he's got this Jew on the cross, powerless. Jesus waiting for the heavens to open up so he can breathe his last breath. And in that moment, our centurion friend has his apocalypse, his revelation. Oh, this, this is the son of God. This this here is the king of, of the Jews. And in this place of utter powerlessness where he realizes how complicit he really is, this is where God shows up. And it's like you can hear him sing, King of
2: kings yet born of Mary.
1: church legend tells us, that that centurion was later baptized by the church, and he became one of the first pastors in this area of Jerusalem, and he started pastoring this church, this little new church, a church that continued to point to that weak in breaking embra- into God's world, a church that felt daily like it may not all come together. It happened to him, this Advent came when he was hanging out at the foot of the cross with a bunch of Jews. God showed up and taught him how to find God in his own life, An Advent for him as he moved into the Jewish faith just kind of broke out. This Advent, I invite you to dwell in the waiting and in the weakness and in how you might be complicit too. And may the same be true of you, may you find God there. Would you pray with me?